0: Take up your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 6. Our reading as well as the content of our sermon this morning would be verses 7 through 13. Mark chapter 6 beginning in verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics and he said to them wherever you enter a house stay there until you depart from there and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them let's pray before we hear Father, we pray again for the blessed help of your Holy Spirit to take your word, to receive your word, to understand your word, what it meant for these men, and what it means for us this day as your people. Empower me, Lord, I pray, to proclaim it, By the power of your spirit, for your people, your flock, your body, have ears to hear and eyes to see. For any who may be in unbelief among us, perhaps today, according to your grace, would be the day of their salvation. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Um, All of us are used to people exercising authority around us, society. Our homes, workplace, um, and the government. Um, elected officials select other officials to, to represent them. Right? The, the president selects and puts into office certain people to, to, to represent him who stand in a place of authority. Ambassadors are sent around the world to, to represent um, our nation, United States of America. That's the practice of proxy. And it's a practice uh, that permeates all of life. Um, as the firstborn of five... When I was young, I was delegated responsibility uh, to take charge of my siblings when when Mom and Paul went out. And sometimes, not all the time, um, but sometimes um, I I would be quick to remind my sisters especially um, what needed to be done before Mom and Dad returned home. Because my brother and I enjoyed playing outside. We were outdoors boys. There were no video games in that day. We were outside as often as we could be. And and now and again, um, one of my uh, sisters uh, would approach us. We typically played across the street at, at a park. And they would come and they would say something like, you need to come inside and pick up your clothes or pick up your toys or whatever, or I'm going to tell mom or I'm going to tell Dad. And sometimes that would cause me to pause for a moment and consider that. But more often than not, I would call their bluff and simply say, go ahead, and just stay out and play. However, however, on some occasions, I recall, one of my sisters would come with a particular tone of authority in their voice. Adding words that caused me to take serious heed to what was being said. It was just two words. Dad said. And I followed her home like a little puppy. Whatever it was, she said. That changed the game entirely. I mean, even if it was my youngest sister, my baby sister, she now served as my father's official representative. Right? So she did carry with her a certain sense of delegated authority to which I better take heed to. So I would proceed and follow um, the orders. Anytime she came with the message, Dad said. Now, that same basic principle is the one that is used here by our Lord Jesus Christ as He delegates authority to His disciples. Jesus was the official representative of His Father on this earth who identified 12 men, 12 unique men, 12, as MacArthur put it, very ordinary men. He called to himself to, resi- to represent him in the world. His, his proxies, these 12 men. They're sent out by him to speak not only of him, but to speak for him. These 12. So here Jesus sends them out for the first time as a kind of test run. This, this is their first sending out right here. Because eventually, beloved, they're going to have to serve without his physical presence. It's a trial run. Now, the background for this, um, if you haven't been with us, and if you have been with us, this is a reminder. The background for this, remember, this comes on the heels of Jesus' return to Nazareth, his hometown. And last time, we we looked at the deadly danger of familiarity. Familiarity as Jesus for the last time paid a visit to his hometown Nazareth not for the sake of a family reunion but for the sake of his primary purpose in ministry and that was to do what? Say it. Preach. Preach. He went back preaching. And it was there that he was roundly rejected. Now remember back in chapter 3 verse 21 his family already thought he was out of his mind. In chapter 3... When they received word of his popularity and all that was going on, when they heard about it in Nazareth, they went to Capernaum in an attempt to collar him and drag him home. Part of which would have been, in their mind, for his own protection. They heard about the crowds. But the scripture says there, they thought he was out of his mind. Okay, So so there's his family, his friends, um, his neighbors in Nazareth. um, Now, they speak of him in less than flattering terms. If you remember, they referred to him as the son of Mary, not the son of Joseph. Sons were always identified by their fathers, not their mothers. So this was a kind of slam. Even when your father was dead, you'd still be referred to as your father's boy. So what they were doing was, in effect, they were referring to his mother as an adulteress and to him as illegitimate offspring. Now, you recall, as I pointed out last week, in John chapter 8, when Jesus confronted the Pharisees, he says, you guys are all of your father, the devil. And they responded, oh yeah? We weren't born of fornication. Remember that? See, once Jesus' popularity exploded, the, the Pharisees went to work like crooked politicians to uncover any kind of dirt that they could on Jesus. You know and you know. It was around for a long time that yet there's something strange uh, about his birth. We know who the mom is, we just don't know who the daddy is. That's right, you don't. This father from heaven. So a prophet is truly without honor. In his own town. We've seen the resentment. We've seen the jealousy. We we see this small town dynamic that surely got in the way of the gospel proclaimed. You know, this is the carpenter. Who is he to preach to us? We know him. He's just like us. The danger, deadly danger of familiarity. Now, as we read in verse 6, it says he, he marveled at their unbelief. He marveled. It wasn't that the people's unbelief surprised him. It's more that he, he marveled at how deeply entrenched unbelief was in his hometown, in Nazareth. He marveled. One of two times that Jesus marveled. The other was of the faith of, of, a, of a Roman soldier. Centurion. So, here's Nazareth. Now, in the same category as Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. That is, cursed cities. They are cursed, having rejected the Messiah. And remember, Jesus said, greater will your condemnation be, Capernaum and Bethsaida, and so on. Greater will your judgment be, even than that of Sodom. On the last day. The more you've been given, the more you're responsible now, his judgment upon those towns was, of course, in miniature of what the whole nation would incur of rejecting their Messiah. And those horrors are made clearly seen in 70 AD when Rome sacks the place. Now, the stage was set. Jesus returning to to Nazareth has set the stage for the rejection that his own disciples are going to experience as his representatives, as his spokesmen. He's preparing them for a long journey. This is part of their preparation. So here he is. He's going to send them out to, number one, to, to preach his word, to testify of his works. He's going to send them out to trust his provision and then to demonstrate the power of Jesus. This is what he's been preparing them to do for many, many months. This isn't six weeks later after he called them to follow him. Many, many months. He's been grooming them, preparing them. So after his rejection at Nazareth, we read chapter 6, verse 6, and he went out among the villages, teaching. Okay, the time was short. Jesus knows this. The time is short. This, this is on his timetable. Not on the Pharisees' timetable. This is Jesus' timetable. Time is short. There's many villages to, to, to whom grace was still available as Jesus moved about preaching. You know, Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, it tells us that Jesus said this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, this mission that we're about to look at, this mission, Mark chapter 6, verse 7, is the answer to that prayer. It's the answer to that prayer. And here, Jesus, leader of all leaders, defines for us what true leadership is. Right here. And it's primarily getting things done effectively through others. He's the leader of leaders. Now, up to now, verse 6 says, he's going around village to village teaching, and then in verse 7, he he summons the 12 to be sent out on a mission to do the very same thing. I want you to notice first, first the foundation of the mission. In verse 7, it says, and he called the 12. Now, let's look at the foundation. Go back. This is why it's important to bring a Bible to church. Go back to chapter 1. Look at verse 16. Verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Notice, I will make you become. And then the same thing with James and John. Um, He calls them to Himself as well. So this begins the foundation for the mission. Next, look at chapter 3, verse 13. And He went up on a mountain. He called to Him those whom He desired. And they came to Him. And He appointed twelve whom He also named apostles so that they might notice this. This is very important. Be with Him. Be with Him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, that verse 14 is very important. That is to be with him because he calls them to be with him so that he intends to send them out from him. All right? Called to be with and then to go out. So be, being with him is as foundational as was his calling them to him. Foundation the mission. And and notice, uh, this is for the first time that that Mark describes them as the 12. The first time that he uses that designation. And then later on in verse 30, they will be designated for the first time by Mark as the apostles. So here they are, the 12 apostles. That's what they were called for in the first place. So up to where we are now, they've been with him. They've been with him in all kinds of situations. They have witnessed things beyond their wildest imaginations. Can you imagine this, beloved? Can you imagine seeing demon possessed people screaming out, shrieking when they see Jesus? And there you are with him, tagging along. And they have to identify themselves because they recognize that he recognizes them. And then he tells them to go. It's amazing. They've witnessed unbelievable things. They've, They've witnessed his authority over the powers of nature, over demonic domination, over disease, and over death itself. This is what they've seen. They've heard Jesus preach in parables, and they've experienced being pulled aside where he explained the meaning of the parables. They've been with him. Very close to him. So that's, that's the foundation of the mission. They had come to Christ. They were called by Christ. They'd been with Christ. He had poured into them for many, many months. He's been preparing them. He's been grooming them. And if you notice, first, when he calls them, he calls them to be disciples, which is a learner. That's what you are okay if you're in christ you're a follower you're a disciple you're a learner you're a student and now they're being sent out that's what an apostle is one sent out with his message and they're going out to preach so here they are they're called they're beginning now their role as fishers of men not marketing professionals do we get this They're not marketing professionals carrying a briefcase, laying out a pamphlet. Here's here's three reasons why Jesus is an option for you. Is that it? No. They're called by him. They've been groomed by him. And now they're sent out to be heralds of him. Proclaimers. He's not an option. He's the only way. That's what they're going to preach. That causes division. That causes trouble. They are now his ambassadors. They now are his proxies. This is their official office to speak credibly with power as his own representatives. And what? Our message is what today? Our message? is His message. It doesn't change. You don't need to glam it up or make it flashy or new or fresh. His message is our message. It doesn't change. That's the foundation. Secondly, I want you to notice the nature of the mission. We see it in verses 7 through 11. Notice first, verse 7, and... Right? He began to send them out two by two. Dua, dua, two, two. In twos, in pairs, he sends them out. Now, this is very, uh, a very great encouragement. That is the encouragement of, of companionship. right? I'm sure Jesus would have had in mind here Ecclesiastes chapter 4, where we read, two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall... One will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Now, this would certainly guard them from trouble. This would also guard them from getting into trouble, two by two. It's a whole lot easier in pairs to go out and do this kind of ministry than it is to do it alone. Right? There's the practical side. Very practical. Um, If you're invited in somewhere, it's better that there are two of you, lest gossip begin to spread. Practical. But there's probably a very different reason why Jesus sends them out in pairs. It takes us back to the Old Testament pattern that a thing is corroborated as true and verified as a fact by the testimony of two or three. Deuteronomy 19.5. The testimony was accepted on account of two or three witnesses. So we've seen the foundation. We we see the nature of the mission. Again in verse 7. And notice, he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Where have we seen this before? Look back at chapter 1. Verse 23. authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him and at once his fame spread everywhere see now that authority has been given to them they now have that authority friends this is not inherent authority they do not have this this in and of themselves here it is derived from the one who sent them this is Jesus power And he grants this to them to go out and do what he tells them to do. Now, the kingdom has arrived, amen, in the person, in the teaching, and and the ministry of Jesus, and Satan noticed it. So there was a great rise of activity of the demonic realm. When Jesus came on scene, there's this great rise of demonic activity, and as part of the testimony of the apostles now... They're given authority over that realm. Just as he has authority over it. He's the authoritative one. So they're delegated this, this ability, this power. So here they go with authority and a power. They're not, they're not going on a sales run here. This is an extension now of Jesus' ministry. They're moving out. And here they go. They declare his word, they testify. What Jesus has done in Capernaum. So as they go out, they're going to say, look, we've witnessed firsthand what he's done. And now we're going to declare to you who he is. So they would testify and they would preach all along the way. And this, of course, this trip foreshadows the Great What? The Great Commission. Somebody over here keeps answering correctly. Thank you. The Great Commission. Prior to his ascension, right? He sends them out. He says, all power and authority has been granted to me in heaven above and earth below. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that you have been taught, right? And, lo, I'll be with you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. This foreshadows that. This is a miniature of that. So they're witnessing, they're they're preaching, they're testifying, was that Jesus is the divine Messiah of the Old Testament. So here he goes. Here they go. And they've been spectators up to this point. Now they are partners given a mission with power. Now this is very encouraging because if if you look, look look at these men up to this point. Look look at the three and a half years or the three years or so that they followed Jesus. Do, Do they prove themselves... To be honor students, beloved? No. So you and I, I I am especially very encouraged by texts like this. James Edwards comments on this, and he said this, quote, The sending of these particular individuals testifies that the fulfillment of the word of God depends not, not on the perfection or merit of the missionaries, but on the authoritative call and equipping of Jesus. End quote. Isn't that beautiful? In Acts 4, down the road, what do we read about these fellows? Same guys. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Their credentials for authoritative, extensive ministry are the result of being called by Jesus and their intensified relationship with Jesus. That's their credentials. And that is regarding the person, the power, and the purpose of Jesus that they proclaim. So they're called by Him. They spend time with Him. They're sent out by Him. And they preach for him they were called and sent today for preachers missionaries the pattern it remains the same you know many young men I've met over the years they are prematurely moved by zeal okay premature zeal and they attempt to go out and preach boldly but they're not gifted to do it and, and it crumbles. So you can't go just on zeal. Now, although their training may be superior, there is no place, there's no institution, there's no group of men, as esteemed as those men may be, that can make another man a minister of the gospel. They can train him. They can test him. They can teach him. They can clarify, you've completed the course, but they do not And and cannot provide the basis for the call or the authority to to carry out the call. There's only one who did it then, there's only one who does it now, and it's this Jesus. He calls and, and he commissions men with authority to proclaim his word. Pattern's the same, always has been. So they're given authority not only to preach, but here they have authority over the unseen realm. He gives this to them to, to, to go. Okay, note also in the nature of this mission that the order to travel light. Notice this. So he says, I want you to travel light, and, and here's how you're going to respond. To hospitality, Verse 8, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Okay, this is not teaching asceticism, by the way. Okay? This is not a particular dress code that's to be, to be followed. The, the instructions here are for the sake of reliance for these men at this time here, and they're called to travel lightly. Now, remember, most of them, most of these men, come from reasonably comfortable surroundings. Now, they, they had successful, most of them, fishing businesses. So they could have perhaps been tempted to stop by Dad's house on the way out to gather some things for the sake of Security. He says, no. Go. No bread, no bag. Okay? No no, no bag to stuff bread in that someone may give you. No bag, no bread, no money to buy bread. Go. He calls them to go. He, He wants them to trust their Father in heaven who will provide for them just as He has provided for His beloved Son. And they've witnessed it. They've experienced it thus far. Now, they have to put rubber to the road. They have to go and they they have to trust in His providence. It's training and trust, amen? Training in, in, in dependence upon God. Do you not go through this? Training in trust. Training in dependence. Now, this tunic thing, typically you would take two tunics in preparation to sleep outside, okay? Uh, When you have no place to to lay your head and you're going to be traveling, oftentimes you may have to sleep outside, so you would therefore take two tunics. And he wanted them, once again, to trust in his provision according to his word. He's saying, look, go without. Don't take two. Just take one. Wear your sandals. Wear your sandals. Take your staff. Move on. So, minimizing provisions here is meant to maximize their faith there. Okay? Ever since their call in Galilee to come follow him, they they, they were never very far from his presence. Okay? So, they had learned to trust. They had learned to trust that... He meets every need, right? While he's near, that's easy to do. Now, they're going to go out without his physical presence, and they're going to have to learn to depend without him being around. And they're especially going to have to learn this once he ascends back to heaven. So this is a little test run. He lets out the line a little bit for the boys, and they go. So they still had a lot to learn. Um, and it's very important to note, beloved. This is, is descriptive, not prescriptive, okay? Th- th- this call here, you know, sometimes you'll meet people who are like hippies, and they claim to be a Christian. And they're walking around in a white robe and a staff and sandals. Hey, let's talk about Jesus, brother. Dude, why, why are you dressed like this? Well, this is what Jesus told us to do. Is this an imperative Is this a command without exception for all God's people throughout time, beloved? No. No. Nor is this a call for those in the ministry to take a vow of poverty. Okay, now, as a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 22, verse 35, when Jesus looks back at this very account right here, he says this, When I sent you out with any money belt or bag, did you lack anything? What did they answer? No. Nothing. And then Jesus went on to say this. But now, whoever has a money belt, take it. You have a knapsack, take it. Whoever has no sword, sell one of your cloaks and get a sword, because you're going to need it. Okay? That was later on. For here and for now, he has a specific purpose in mind, and it's for them to depend upon him for provision as they go, with power delegated to them to proclaim his word. So we move then from, from a lesson of dependency to instructions as regards contentment. Anybody struggle with contentment? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> Content. We live in America. We're so spoiled. We're so wealthy. So wealthy. I don't care where you live or what you... You are wealthy. On a worldwide scale, you are. But how discontent we are oftentimes. So here's a lesson on contentment. Verse 10. He said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Now, it was ex- expected in this day and in this culture to provide hospitality for traveling teachers and preachers. So, it is a ro- a res- as a result of that expectation, um, it became open to abuse. You know, o- o- over, o- overstaying your welcome. You ever have someone overstay their welcome in your home? It gets old fast. It's almost like, man... They don't really need to be here, but they, they've been here way too long. And it also uh, was protected to just, you know, go on hopping from place to place. So he gives them instruction. He provides them with clear instructions. And this was so that they wouldn't taint the message. As they went from village to village, that they wouldn't taint the, taint the, the message by way of poor conduct around those who were hosting them. In other words, look, if someone offers you a bed in a little tiny place over in the corner and you accept it, and the next day you're out having lunch with someone else and and they have a five-bedroom place, okay, do not excuse yourself from the first so as to better your accommodations in the second. This doesn't have to do with vacations, by the way. You can upgrade your room. You can upgrade your flight. But this has to do with your mission. He's saying, look, it won't look good. It won't look right because you'll create the impression that work in Christ's kingdom is a means of enriching yourself. Bettering yourself. So their responsibility here is one of mission, not vacation. That's what he's getting at. Don't be looking for the trade-up For the upgrade, you know, I've been to, I think, nine African countries. The accommodations aren't the greatest when you go there. So what you do is you smile, nod your head, and accept the accommodations. That's the principle, right? And if I come across someone later in the day who has a better place, you know, and they say, well, hey, you can stay here and take them up on it so as not to insult the one who's originally hosting you. Or let's say they're a bad cook, and we, you eat grubs for dinner. We eat grubs one night. Literal grubs. You just douse them with ketchup, and you smile, and you eat it. Because if you're out the next day, and, and, and you meet someone who gives you lunch, you go, man, you are a fabulous cook. And then she says, there's more where that came from, honey. You know, why don't want you and your boys come and stay at our place? Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. Now there was one occasion when I was in Africa and uh, Dr. Van Horn and I were staying with um, a retired general of the Nigerian army. So he, he had a home that was like three or four times bigger than the one I live in, right? So he places, he, he, he appoints me not only to the same room as Dr. Van Horn, but also the same bed. <laughs> so we go in, our eyes are wide open, we're looking at each other. And we put pillows down the middle of the bed. And I said, bro, I do not want to feel your foot on this side. I don't, want to, I don't want to even feel you at all. So the next morning, you know, we're a little perplexed. And we're like, you know, this is a big place. And, well, he, 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 we asked if we could have separate rooms. Okay, so, and here's why. In their culture, it is no big deal for African men to sleep in the same bed together. So he just assumed that since we're traveling together, we're going to be teaching together, that we wanted to stay close together, but we didn't want to stay that close together. <laughs> so we got our own. He, he had six bedrooms with full baths in each bedroom, and they were vacant. So the second night and the rest of the week and a half or so, we had our own rooms with our own bath. It was like, whew. Okay, so that, that didn't really apply here. <laughs> the point is, they are to be content with God's provision along the way. To be content with providence. And those who host them. And what did Paul say? I know how to be abased. And I know how to live in plenty. He knew both. And he was content. So they're to be committed to the mission. They're not to bounce from house to house. And they're not to be bound down with clutter. How many of us today as Christians are bound down with clutter? And I'm just not talking about stuff at your house. But we have so much. We're involved in so many things that when Jesus calls us to participate in something according to our gifts within the church, we just have too much to do. There's a principle. It's just too much clutter. travel light here for the sake of mobility for the sake of flexibility so as to communicate god's word not theirs this is their mission there's the foundation of the mission there's the nature of the mission and next notice be ready for animosity notice be ready for animosity and prepare for rejection so therefore therefore you're going to have to exercise discernment he says Notice verse 11. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, rabbis in this day, anytime they would leave a pagan Gentile land, they would shake the dust off their sandals as an expression to demonstrate that they are leaving heathen lands and returning to the people of God, the one true God, Yahweh. So they they didn't want the defilement to follow them home. And Jesus says here, I want you to do the same thing. If you're rejected, you do the same thing. Notice what he didn't say. Notice what he did not say. He did not say, look, when you experience those who don't want you and they don't want my message, just stay there till they change their mind. He doesn't say that. He says, since my message divides, as a prophetic sign against them, shake the dust off your sandals and move on. Some poor pastors I know preach for years in front of a gathering of ice sculptures. The word has no effect on them. They're cold. They want to hear the word, they want to argue about nonsense. Poor guys battle it out for years. It's faithful. They're faithful. Sorry, bunch of people. So, this is a reminder. This is a reminder for them. Following Jesus isn't always a party. Amen? It's not always a party. Following the Lord, people will take offense at you because of Him, and sometimes it'll get you killed. And that is the reason that this story about John the Baptist is sandwiched between them being sent out and them returning. John was already dead. And I'll show you why in just a few minutes. We'll just move on. Enough on that. Finally, the effect of the mission. We've seen the foundation for the mission, the nature of the mission. Now notice the effect. Verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and they healed them. Look at look at verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And sandwiched in between the sending and the returning is the story of John the Baptist who had already been beheaded. We'll get to that in a second. So they went out, they 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 proclaimed what they heard Jesus preached. They performed miracles by the power of Jesus. And what they did here, beloved, they kept the main thing, the main thing. God dramatically saved them, called them, equipped them, sent them out, and they kept the main thing, the main thing, just as their master instructed them to do. They proclaimed the words of Christ. They proclaimed the works of Christ. And then, and then, their message, friends, was validated by their what? Power. Okay? We see, in, we, 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 we see this in passages like 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Notice. The marks of a true apostle were signs, wonders, and what? Miracles. Same thing in Acts 5, verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the... Hello? Apostles, Acts four thirteen, Paul and Barnabas speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness of the words of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by whose hands? Their hands. You don't have this ability today, beloved. These are signs of an apostle. Hebrews two three. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Okay, now, notice the further effect. There's the effect. Notice the further effect. Verse 14, notice. This is kind of key to the whole thing. King Herod heard of it for Jesus name had become known. He heard of it. And then it goes on to describe Herod and what he did with John the Baptist and all that. That's why that account is there. Testifying to Jesus will get you killed. Possibly. The effect of the mission is that it magnified Jesus. The report is not about the apostles. It's not about their miraculous power. It's about Jesus. The effect, everyone's talking about Jesus. Jesus. All attention was directed towards him, not the messenger. We see this? They were the messengers of the messenger, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the attention wasn't on them, it was on him. The main point, before we get on to application, the main point of this passage is to show one primary thing. And that is that even during the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, He sent out His apostles. He sent out His ministers in His place, intending for them to be His official representatives. You reject them, you reject Jesus. They are His proxies, His authorized delegates, having received His authority. You receive them, you receive Christ. You reject them, you reject Christ. Christ's word, beloved, is confirmed through them. You got a problem with the Apostle Paul's doctrine? Guess what? Your problem's with Jesus. A lot of people say, well, that's Paul's doctrine. If you don't believe Paul, you don't believe Christ. He's the author, He's the Word. You want to ignore the Apostles' teaching? You're ignoring Christ. You want to remain cold and indifferent to the apostles' teaching? You remain cold and indifferent to Christ. You receive them, you receive him. Question. How do you receive the words of the apostles? Are you receiving them? Second question. Are you responding to them? Or is it just going one ear out the other? Do you deny them? You deny them, you deny Christ. You deny any preacher's message who preaches the truth, you're denying Him. Period. Jesus said in Matthew 10.33, Whoever denies me before men, I will what? I'll deny before my Father who's in heaven. Friends, if you respond to Jesus by saying no, friends, If you deny to Jesus, if you you say no to Jesus, guess what? He'll say no to you. You have to hear this. He'll say, I never knew you. Just in case you're here and you're an unbeliever, and you're rejecting the truth, that's for you. Now, what applies to these apostles doesn't automatically apply entirely across the board to us, okay? Follow me. There is a principle here that's true of every Christian, every true believer, and that is when you go to speak the gospel of the New Testament, the gospel of the Old Testament, that is the gospel of the Bible, you do so in Jesus name. That is you do so on the basis of his merit, his authority and his lordship. In other words, you two are his proxy. You're his representative. You are selected officials. Or better yet, elected officials. Elected, selected, you're both. He elects, he selects, he sends, his message is our message. We have nothing else. We need nothing else. It's perfect. It's flawless. You don't have to shine it up. You don't have to buff it out. You don't have to contemporize it. Contempor, what do you use it called? Contemporize. Is that a word? No. Preach it. Proclaim it. The authority is His. Okay. We're going to broaden out the application to close. Okay? Broaden out the application. Like them, we've been called by Jesus. Amen? Like them, we've been called to follow Jesus. Like them, we've been called to follow Jesus so that we might be with Jesus, that we might spend time with Jesus. We worship in spirit and truth. We we have the Holy Spirit. That's the foundation of the call. That's the nature of our relationship with Jesus. Salvifically, it's the same as the apostles. No different. Discipleship, that is, we're learners. It's the same as the apostles. However, our mission is not quite the same. It's not quite the same. Look, their situation, friends, is historically unique. These are apostles with a capital A. Are there any of those today? No. It's very unique historically. Their ability, that is, those sign gifts, are also historically unique. Apostolic gifts that validate the message are no longer required. Right? Because in that day, there were all kinds of people professing to be apostles, and you knew who the true apostle was by the one who had signs, miracles, and wonders to validate the message they were preaching. You don't have that today. And if you think you do, please don't fool yourself. Can God do anything anywhere? Yes. Are these signs necessary today? No. No. Signs of an apostle. The effect of our mission is exactly the same. You know what it is? Making much of Jesus. The effect should be the same. Making much of Jesus. See, when Christ calls you and you turn to him, the whole purpose and orientation of our lives is radically changed. Amen? The purpose of these men, was it radically changed? Oh, yes, but you're not going to experience the same thing that they did exactly in the same way. Our lives are radically changed nonetheless. Now, they're called to be apostles, upon which the foundation of the church was what? Built, thank you. There was another man who was called by Jesus, transformed dramatically by Jesus. Look back at chapter 5, verse 18. The demoniac, right? He's transformed. He's filled with demons, legion. He's delivered from that. And in verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus did not what? Permit him. What did he say? What did he say? Go home and make much of me. You get that? Go home and tell of all that God has done for you. So Jesus sent him off as a new creature. We, beloved, have been dramatically saved. We've been convicted and called, and we're now on a mission. This is how I came up with the conclusion to this message that's applicable to us, and it was by way of a conversation we had with the man on Thursday night. I was like, I can't, I can't come up with a conclusion. And then I think Ray said something, and it says, okay, there's the conclusion. Here's the point. We've been dramatically saved. We've been called. We've been convicted. We're now on mission to make much of Jesus. You're not an apostle. You're not going to do what they did. So the question here is this. As little apostles, what determines how you do what you do? What controls What and why you do what you do in your family, in your school, at your job, whether you work at home, perhaps you work at home, whether you're in the military, whether you have your own business, why do you do what you do? Is it merely for the money? Is it for recognition? Is it for self-promotion? Or perhaps... It's just my duty. Why do you do what you do? Hopefully, for all of us, it's to make much of Jesus. That's it. How how should we go to work? I'm almost done. Ephesians 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Employees, obey your earthly employers with fear and what? Trembling. With a sincere heart as you would what? Christ. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to Man, so we're not talking about being explicitly um, evangelistic here, but simply the question is, why do you do and how do you do what you do as application to this? Because what they did is that they went out and they made much of Jesus by the power of God. How How do you participate in church? Duty? Um, Dreadful duty? Perhaps. If I don't show up, they'll track me down. (laughs) So, I'll come out of duty. As people who have been called by Him, called to Him, we are representatives, beloved, of Him... Therefore, the question, why do we do and how do we do what we do? Hopefully, it's to make much of Jesus. So, to close, where in our lives does change need to take place? How we do what we do at home. How we do what we do in relationships. How we do what we do at work. How we do what we do in our recreation. Do we have a bunch of clutter around us because we, don't, we refuse to travel lightly and we're all involved in so many things when it comes to the church? We don't have time to do it. Application. Where is there the need for God-helped, gospel-fueled, Holy Spirit, energized purpose To live on mission for Christ. That's the question. For to me to live is Christ. May that be. May that be our desire. A gospel-fueled, Holy Spirit-energized desire for me to live is Christ in all that we do. Amen? Encourage one another with these things.